Welcome to Altar of the Demo Gods. If you're wondering what advice from two experienced sales engineers sounds like, it's a little like this. Welcome back to Altar of the Demo Gods. I'm Keith Wilson, joined by my friend and co-host, John Morton. John, how's it going? Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> This is the second of three episodes we're recording tonight, so the intros always feel weird to redo them again. Uh, in this episode, we also have special guest, Charles Herring. Charles is the CTO of security startup Witfu. How's it going, Charles? Doing good, Keith. It seems like ages since I've seen you. Great to be back. It's like I said, in you know, we're tearing down the fourth wall again here. We usually record these in batches, so it's always weird. The first one's fine to have the the introduction talk and the the fun banter and stuff, but by episode two, it gets weird. Yeah. You know, we had we did have a brief intermission returning things to Lake Michigan, but you know, that's its own own coverage. I know, I did. We should have got that. You know, the stuff you miss, the stuff that's cut from the uh, stuff left on the editing floor. So in the last episode, uh, Charles joined us as well, and we talked about the the sales, uh, different stages of the sales cycle. So we talked about lead generation, uh, qualification. We spent quite a bit of time talking about qualification because it, it is a pretty important part of this. Um, then we talked a little bit about presentation and objection handling, spent a good amount of time talking about objection handling. Um, and then talked about the importance of post-sales and follow-up. Uh, it was a really good episode. I, I think it's a good talk, and there's a lot to dive into. It was actually one of our longer episodes. So a lot of information to dive into. If you didn't get to listen to last week's episode, that was episode six, recommend you go back and listen to that. Uh, tonight, or this week, I guess, because this doesn't necessarily get released at night. You may not be <laughs> listening to this at night. We're going to talk about coaches, champions, and economic buyers. And John, I'd like to submit to you this week that the acronym of the week, because we didn't do one last week, is EBs for economic buyers. What do you say? Oh, perfect. Let's do the uh, Pee Wee Herman. Rah. Not the Pee Wee Herman, you know. Auditorium the, performance, the what? but the rock. That's a very nuanced thing that most of the audience that is. Keith might be too young to understand the rap. I'm 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 just on the cusp of Pee Wee Herman, right? I, I did make a Don Rickles joke today, so you know. Yes. Poor Pee Wee Herman. May he rest in peace. Yeah, to Paul but Charles Paul understood the okay. reference. All right, Pee Wee Herman. Pee-wee Herman. Long, long may he reign. So, needless to say, if you want to do some research later, just look at uh, look up Pee Wee. No, nobody Google Pee Wee exposed. No, man, no. don't plug that into AI. Don't plug it into the internet. No, that was that's, yeah. Call you want no Herman, trace of that your search history. Yes, use the library computer. <laughs> yeah, that's even better. Do it in public. <laughs> so EB is going to be our, our acronym of the week for economic buyer word of the day yeah acronym, acronym, of, the, day. acronym of the week um, and we, we probably talked about these terms a little bit before but I want to dive deeper into them um, and I think a lot of people have 
there, there's a lot of confusion between the different terms between who's a coach, who's a champion, who's an economic buyer, uh, who's who in the zoo, as John likes to say. Um, so let's start with coaches. John, what, what's a coach, and, and then then we'll go to we'll go to Charles. That is my go-to statement. So um, for reference, I'm not sure everyone can see here, but we have a, a book in front of me called The Qualified Sales Leader by John McMahon, where he very articulately describes a coach. But I'll summarize it in human terms first, and then we'll go into the uh, sales math. Um, a coach is someone who, let's say we've talked about this in the sales process, right? You meet somebody and they're telling you, Keith, I like what you're selling. It's really cool. I think it'd be a good fit for my organization. I'd like to get you engaged with the opportunity. Um, coaches are really good about, you know, telling you the things you need to hear. And they may be even saying, hey, Keith, I actually have this as a budgeted project. It's something I'm interested in buying. They may even tell you like the specifics. Here's the success criteria of it. So they are very good about giving salespeople, both engineering, sales engineering and sales reps, happiers. One of my favorite statements. A coach will always excite somebody when it comes to happy years. Where they fall down, yeah, though, is the difference. Coaches have big, big dreams, generally without authority, right? Without any there sort you of go. authority so, or, or, ne or even necessarily any sort of political capital. That's exactly the difference, the right, between a, a, a real coach and a real champion is normally a coach isn't politically aligned. You put a little pressure on them and you're asking, well, you have budget. Can you introduce me to who is actually signing the paperwork? And they're like, whoa, Keith, I'll stop. I've heard this term in meetings and it really bothers me being a, a former Navy guy. You know, I'll stop. <laughs> Charles, I know you want to chime in, but it kills me when they do this. That's when you know that's an indicator they're a coach. They're not politically aligned. They don't have the influence. They're not willing to make intros for you, right? They don't even have skin in the game. There's a lot of things that differentiate a coach from a, uh, a champion. Is the motivation in that, John, that, um, that they do want to see change, but they're relying on you to somehow navigate and make it, you know, make all the hard stuff happen? Or is it they just want a stake and, you know, a boat ride or whatever you're giving out? What, what, tends to be the driver of a coach. You know, I'm about uh, two whiskeys deep. And as we've mentioned before, Keith wanted to start a band called, you know, Three Fingers Deep. But I, I, I'm reminiscing on this 80s movie I saw once where a guy hired another guy to beat up his bully. That's what a coach is doing. He's hiring me to beat okay. up his bully. He's got no skin in the game. He's giving me money. He's hoping I go in and just slay that monster. But if it doesn't work out, Hey, nothing happened, right? Hey, it wasn't me. So, so yeah, that's like kind Steve of how I Jobs, perceive it. He's like, make my, put my iPad and my, my iPod in my phone. I'll see it in six months. Make it happen. <laughs> Just make it right, happen, right? right? But he doesn't have Steve Jobs' money is the worst part. He's not even sponsoring this event. You know, I'm, I'm, t I'm counting out nickels and dimes to fight this bully. And you ever uh, see anyway, like, was it worth it? You know, I've seen those. So there's a few things, right? I think there's one that's, the motivation is always important to me with that person. You know, it is, is it because they, you know, just want to be around me or the company or an event, you know, are, are they a vampire, a leech, right? right? Yeah. Um, so, and so they're not really looking for a symbiotic relationship. That's sort of like yeah. problem one. And so you got to, you know, 
hunt that somewhere. But then there's also the one that, that wants to see change, but it's terrified. And that one's more common for me that they're scared of their boss. They're scared of asking for money. They're, they don't know. They're afraid of getting fired. They, they really want to see. They believe in what you're doing. Like you're saying, they believe. They just don't. They have no belief in themselves of navigating the internal. Um, and those I tend to want to invest in because they will find their way either in that company or when they leave. So, but they're infinitely frustrating and they do make what could be a potentially short sales cycle much longer. Oh, um, that's, yeah, go ahead. Keith. Well, I was going to say the objective there is to identify the coaches early and, you know, still not to just ignore them, right? Because they're still good for information, understanding who understanding who the champions could be and understanding who the coaches are. If you're a good sales rep, if you're a good SE, you can take that some of that information they're giving you to decipher, okay, who should I be talking to? And in a lot of cases, they can even help you get introduced to the champion. Generally, they're not going to be, they're not going to have the political capital to introduce you to an EB, to an economic buyer, right? right? Like John said, like, you're going to ask them like, okay, I need a signature. Well, they don't have the authority to do that. Well, let me let me meet the person that can. Well, I I can't introduce yeah. you to that person. Here's a here's right? a very critical thing. I think uh, if anybody heard me say this, they're going to ask us for money. Keith, they're going to say, "Are you guys making money on this podcast?" Because they like my cut. So, uh, a coach too, and this is really hard for technical salespeople to hear, SEs included, is they really talk in technical terms. They speak in feature functions. A champion knows business value. They understand what this product solution will impact the business. That's why they're not so hesitant to go talk to the EB. I got this initiative, right? A, a coach, they only know tech. I got this one tech problem, maybe you can solve. And that's what makes it so hard. And they'll take dinners all day long. They'll, Charles, go buy me some drinks, go buy me a dinner. Here's the technical function. If you just did this thing, I will introduce you. They don't though. A champion, on the other hand, is in business centric. I'm driving revenue for this organization. Here's our business objective. And this is why I'm going to introduce you to the EB. So building a champion is critical. We'll go into that in a second. But that's a huge differentiator I've noticed over time. Yeah, I would say that champions and EBs both have visibility into the strategy where a coach doesn't yes. necessarily have visibility into you know, a department or, or even corporate strategy of, of what's going on where the economic buyer, mm -hmm. the, the, even even to an extent, the champion has been clued in because they have that relationship with the economic buyer as to what the overarching strategy is and how they can fulfill that. Right, their their piece Correct. of that, that strategy. Correct. Well, I feel like the coach got a better title than they deserve. Like, shouldn't it be like the source? You know, they're like good for giving you information in exchange for drinks. Should we get let them be a coach? Maybe assistant coach, equipment handler. <laughs> You know, I feel, I, I'm not really. This, He's on know. the team. He provides well, coach water sound, to people. Coach sounds pretty good until you really look at the next one up, and that's champion. Like champion's pretty good. The one that got shortchanged, I think, is the economic buyer. I don't know. That one just sounds weird. You know, in the Alabama football structure, the champions work for Coach Saban. So you know, being a, a boy from Alabama, um, that is a good think point. You, you do get coach. too much respect with that title yeah. of coach because yeah. it makes it sound like they can kind of steer direction. It's it's too much power in that title, but like they're coaching yeah. me. Like, what do I need you to coach me on? 
right? It's really a source. The best thing they're going to do is tell me who can do something, right? Is that yeah, they're really good about that, too. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Every coach I've ever had, it's almost like they're really proud of that, Charles. Here's a little bit of info, Charles. Here's mm-hmm. here's what I know. Now, now, buy me some more drinks and another dinner, and I'll, I'll slide you more info, right? Yeah. You're right. Informer. Source. Yeah. It's a better term. Yeah. Because they are useful that way, and then it's just a matter of how do you engineer a meeting with the operative, the champion, you know, yeah, the champion, yeah. So how do you how do you identify then, John? What what are some dead giveaways that that you've got a champion instead of a coach, or vice versa? Kind of like I said, man. If if they know, if they understand strategy, right? And um, I'll pick on something I'm very familiar with, like strategy, some higher level objective where some executive, their economic buyer is saying, these are my OKRs, our, uh, our term from the, the last, you know, a couple episodes back. If they can align to that or even just explain to me what their company does and makes, you know, advances in whatever they do. I'm trying to be agnostic because we always think profit companies you know, organizations like Fed don't operate that way, but they have the same objective. Here's the higher level strategy. That's a key indicator to me of, you know, a real champion. And always, like I mentioned in the laps last episode, they can identify where they fit in that as well. They're saying, if I attain this organizational objective, this higher strategy, I get a new title, I get a pay raise, I get a spiff, I get a bonus. If they can help me understand their role in the greater strategy and why they care about doing it, those are always huge indicators to me. And it always comes down to value, but yeah. As, as you know, I've worked on the vendor side all my life, but now in the role that I'm in, I'm also the buyer as well, not the economic buyer, but I'm definitely a champion for sure. Yeah. And I will literally tell sales reps, if you do this, if we are able to do this, what's in it for me is I get a bonus. My bonus is reliant on your ability to execute these things so that they understand how important it is to me and that I do have some skin in the game. And that not only that, what you're promising to and you're committing to, you better, you better fulfill on because you're messing with my money, not the company's money, yeah. my money. Now, now, here's a crazy thought scenario. Let's walk through using you, Charles. Let's say you're the CTO at WITFU, which you are. And let's say I am a cloud architect who works under you that, you know, hosts Whitfu. Mm-hmm. A sales rep comes to me and he says, hey, John, I can help you streamline this process. I can help you secure this effort. I can help you secure or, you know, do something, drive revenue, a strategic objective I have. A champion is actually needed by a coach. Charles' objectives at the CTO have, you know, higher meaning, they have influence. And he needs me to help broker this sort of relationship where if I came to Charles and I said, Charles, I know these guys, they're great. Their product will help you get to where you need to be, right? Is that a better conversation than me never willing to come to Charles, right? Never willing to say, I understand what you're trying to do. What I'm trying to say is an executive buyer, a CTO, he may be buying a product, needs a co- needs a champion. They need someone who's going to say, Charles, this is what matters. Yeah. Have you ever had that experience, Charles? Well, I mean, there's two flows, right? I mean, I, ha- I staff folks with, we've got a problem. We need to solve it and go find something, 
right? So right. there's like, and that's normally going to go to, I think, what we're calling a champion. Um, but there's also this point of, of maybe it's a coach that has a problem internally, right? It's not that they're trying to solve a broader strategic problem, but they're trying to solve a tactic that's associated with their execution of the strategy, their piece of the, yeah. of the mission. I need this code to compile faster. I need to be able to get better lists to call people, whatever the thing is, right? And so yeah. normally that person, that's a bottom up uh, type of transaction, right? That's someone at mm -hmm. the boilerplate that identifies there's something wrong with the organization. And if things are working well, I understand that they need that. And then I sign off on it. But, you know, in experiences I think we've all had is many organizations, only the person at the bottom understands there's a problem and there's a communication right. disconnect inside the organization that they're frustrated, don't know how to solve it. And so they're just calling for, hey, if the doctor shows up and says, there's a problem, there's a problem, right? right? They'll listen to this guy. This guy will figure it out. They'll use their magic sales and tech powers to do this thing. But there's also timing, right? I think going to strategy, you know, one way to say it is you have people that can't think past their next meal. Um, they've got a problem, or as I said, you know, in episode six, the if you stub your toe, you can't do math, right? People in right. pain are only focused on uh, getting out of the current pain. So there is a flow across an organization. And I do think most of the sales cycle, especially when we're selling, you know, above mid-market, is around navigating um, where information flow is stopped, where it's congested, where why can't this coach be a champion, right? Why, yeah. why is his voice not being heard? And it might be that he's, his voice shouldn't be heard, that he's always just spouting stuff that has nothing to do with anything that has is helpful, right? That's a, that's right. a potential reason. But yeah, I mean, there is, there's different flows to it. And there is a tempo in my mind, right? I, as at the top of all the decision-making, there's a tempo of the way things happen until something comes in and tells me that needs to change, right? The strategy needs to be reevaluated. Um, but, you know, easy decisions like, hey, this thing, this version, this new company is selling the thing that we're already doing from a different company and it's half the price. Well, I'm like, all right, what's the, how long does that take to roll out? I love half the price. Is it the same quality, right? And so then you're rolling into technical trials. But that's really more on a commodity type of sell, right? Your paper is the yeah. same as his paper. Why would, you know, what do I get uh, from the exchange? I think so, you hit on a huge point there, Charles. We're, you know, me and Keith, and I, I do this myself. I'm kind of biased toward enterprise selling, but I think if I was going to summarize it too, like I think a champion can be a coach, but a coach can never be a champion, right? In, in kind of what you're saying, right? even in smaller orgs, they may know the pain. They may have this feature function problem they're trying to solve and they can bring it to the CTO or, you know, whoever's purchasing authority is there, even, you know, if it, it extends that boundary, but uh, it's hard to shake off that bias. I'm just admitting I have some personally in selling now, to enterprises. Well, I think what it, you can solve it a number of ways. Like what a champion brings is energy and an understanding of the problem and an incapacity, right? Most of my life is trying to translate some data that's important to somebody into a format that's important to somebody else in the organization. Right. And so and that became my passion because I saw this every day that someone that really deeply knew 
something needed to change in an organization did not have the capacity to express it in the same way that an infant can't say, I need more protein, right? Right. The infant doesn't understand that. It can just cry and leave it to um, the people around it to figure out why the child's crying. And so that frustration of communication is real, but you also just have everything else that happens when people get together in enterprise, right? The trauma, the politics, the, you know, the clickism, the, the understanding of institutional norms. There's all of these things that happen. You can't just drop a Marine into a Navy command and say, figure it out. The guy's right. going to freak out, right? There's, it's saying very close, it's, you know, it's better than dropping a firefighter or a cop or something, but it's still yeah. very different. And so I, I think there's politics of it too, Charles, to lead into, I, I see what we have, you know, talking about next is the EB. There's also this politics play. You just mentioned it right now. I can't, you know, go, I mean, I probably could, depending on the size of the organization and say, we're going to buy this solution just because I like it. Mm-hmm. As an executive executive buyer, I can't exactly politically go say, I'm just going to buy this just because they're my friends. I love, you know, the folks at Witfu. I'm not even going to do any sort of due diligence so in that same vein, I need someone else to help me with that due diligence to even justify the purchase. So to your point about politics, that's kind of that use case there. Even if the EB is your best friend, your, your nepotism neighbor, brother, politically, that looks terrible. If you're going to say, I'm just going to buy this product just because. So you often need that champion in the company who's aligned with you, right? So yeah, I would say... I would say, at least for technical sales and software sales, the EBs rarely have the technical skill needed in order to evaluate whether the product's mm-hmm. actually going to do what they want it to do or not. And you need that champion who should have that technical skill and the coach who wants to be a, a part of the process. You need them to do that technical validation. Dude, it's the required best, the best when I used to work in finance. Yeah, 100%. Good. Sorry, Charles. I mean, the best sales cycles are, you know, you have, we're describing sort of a, a bottom up sales cycle where you're starting at the, the, you know, the grunt, the coach, the guy that, that has no juice. And you're trying to pivot from that person to get to the top. And I I do still believe those are the best, most sustainable relationships because you're navigating this entire complex organization through that sales cycle in a way that will survive a renewal. You know, whereas you you flip that and it's some guy meets me on an airplane and I'm sitting in first class flying to my, you know, flying back from some conference and he thinks our wit food is the best thing ever. And he's like, go buy some wit food. And to your point, John, it shouldn't happen. It happens. You know, yeah. I had some talk with the CEO and next thing they didn't even try it. Ordering it. I got every person in that organization hates me, hates what we're selling, <laughs> doesn't know what it is. And so a win now is a I'm win, trying, but it's a terrible win. Yeah. And so I'm trying to fix a relationship that's starting out very precarious because uh, the guy that owns the budget believes in the whatever pros I told them. And then but no one has you know, figured out, well, does this even fit in here? We're on empirical and it's metric, you know, so the, all of those things is really important to do both, right? You have to get executive buy-in and going, just closing the loop on the coach. Sometimes the coach can be solved without a champion. Um, So the deficiency of the coach is there's not a a vouch or there's not strategy. And so sometimes it can be um, a reselling partner that can, you know, 
bring in the help on that, or it can be, be a, a, a consultant, a consulting firm they use. Um, and so there's sometimes, even though they don't have enough to move it, them plus something can. And you know, the right. more you get to understand that organization, the more you can identify what the what the fulcrum can be to get to the next level. But I am I've always been a big fan of bottom up sales. Get the guy that's going to be touching the product every day, in love with it, and convinced of it first, and then enable that person to get it to the next level, and enable that person to get it to the next level. So the whole company's bought in. Um, because you're, you're in the beginning of pre-sales, you should be thinking about the renewal. And that's never been more true than it is today. Yeah, yeah. last bit on that, Charles, I wanted to ask you, like champion building. So we go to a lot of conferences. Last time we hung out, we were in Detroit, you know, we had a GERCON. And one of the things that people always ask me, is it okay as you as a buyer to hang out with your vendors to allow them to buy you drinks, buy you dinner, and do champion building, right? I honestly believe that's okay because you're just keeping that relationship stable. You have an investment in the solution. You should, you know, entertain these things, whatever may be your forte, right? Obviously ethical boundaries being what they are, but there's nothing wrong to me with building a relationship with a person who works on that vendor side. And that's what normally from the vendor perspective, we call champion building right? We're buying someone drinks, we're taking them to events, whatever's acceptable in their, their terms. Do you ever see a problem with that sort of relationship? You know? Uh, so, I mean, there, there's all, I mean, there's all kinds of problems with it, but I mean, I think it, it has, to, there has to be some mechanism, like as a rule, no. And I tell people, if you don't accept the drinks from the vendor, that's a perfect, that's a waste of a perfectly good vendor, right? But <laughs> mostly it's, it's an opportunity to understand, because you're not going to be able to leverage, the, I bought you drinks, so give me a $500,000 right. purchase order. Like there's not any mm -hmm. reasonable person that thinks that's leverage, unless the night went really crazy and there's photos. But the um, extortion, by the way, not a great sales <laughs> tactic. Um, we don't want to end up on the losing end of yeah, that. I, I got a story for that from one for someday. I didn't do it, but I was a firsthand part, a firsthand uh, witness to it. But there is this part. I mean, I think as technical as sales engineers, we think about things very technically. But the human buyer works off intuition and trust. Mm -hmm. uh, do I trust that this person is actually not going to, you know, lie to me? This right. person is going to deliver on what they're saying they're going to do. And I think you have to get outside of a conference room in some setting. And, you know, it, it can be golf. I hate golf. If people like to golf, you know, you can go bowling or go to a bar or, or go to a karaoke. We did that in Grand Rapids at Gurkhan. And yeah. so you can do things that give someone an opportunity to see you beyond your PowerPoint slide and your demo. And right. I do think that's important in all businesses to understand at some level and some capacity who you're doing business with and whether or not we think it should be important or not. It is critically important. The human mm -hmm. being is a very social animal and mm -hmm. um, we have we, we have to appeal to that first. I mean, before we ever get a chance to, you know, push packets and bytes or software or widgets, we have to get a level of trust and, comfort, you know, comfort. Uh, yeah. from the prospect before we ever have a chance to, you know, have the conversation about the tech. Love it. So we're coming up near the end of this episode. I want to, I want to spend just a little bit more time talking about economic buyers, just because we really haven't touched on them that much. And 
defining an economic buyer is pretty easy. It's the guy, the guy or girl, the person that has the authority to sign the purchase order to to authorize and say, "Yep, we're going to buy this." Right? That is your economic buyer. Um, what do you try and do to engage that economic buyer as early as possible in the sales process? And how do you identify when that, when that time has come? When, when's, when's the appropriate time to talk to that economic buyer? I'm going to go to Charles first, and then we'll go to John do to wrap up. So Charles, I want to hear your thoughts on this first. So, you know, the, the champion and the technical guys are really focused on the tech right? The, when you get to an executive buyer, they're really focused on a partnership. And I think, you know, you mentioned this in episode six, but the, the engineer's ability to offer, you know, and to provide value beyond whatever is on the card, right? I, I hear what you're saying. This is understanding their strategic view, what's keeping them up at night and uh, how you can help their team in meeting those goals and dealing with uh, that pain at a partnership level is critical. And I think, you know, just having some talks with some partners this week that were treating a, a C-level a CISO very transactionally. And I says, he feels like you're asking, you know, you're asking, do you need anything in the way that a waiter asks when he's trying to get you to get off the table and take the check, right? He's looking for right. an experience and, and, for you to be there for him and to support uh, what he's doing. So I think that part is very important and it has to be um, slow rolled in a way. So I think it's also dangerous to get an economic buyer involved. If, if you don't have to, don't do it. <laughs> if the champion can handle it, let the champion handle it because once, because the relationship with the champions, the D marks clearer, your product needs to work. You need to answer the call the phone when I call. When you get into an executive relationship, um, the things that can happen. Hey, talk to me about your roadmap. Hey, where are you guys from? Can I meet your CFO? And it becomes a relationship thing, like like dating someone, like meeting the parents and going deep. And it's a very powerful thing for the organization. But for the sales engineer, it can, or for the sales team, it can be a very, um, it can be a delaying component of the relationship. So for every business, it's worth it. Um, but for the sales team, maybe not, you know, if you're going to do it, be ready to do it right. Right. You can't just show up with, with a pack of gum. It's going to be flowers. I, I think that's it right there, like, Charles. Yeah. You got to do is do it right. So again, my bias is always towards enterprise, right? I've always sort uh, Captain Ahab, baby. Well, hun. you know how many people I tell that to and they don't know who Captain Ahab is? Melville. Hey, my name is Ishmael. over in his grave, yeah. <laughs> they, they, uh, and I'm like, man, what in the world? Anyways, but it's I not that great of a book. I'll just say it. It's not that great of a book, John. Like, I know it's important, <laughs> but like at this point, we've written so many better books in American yeah, literature. It's relevant to the, you know, just to the whale. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm not saying like the Twilight books. But and I don't read either. I'm assuming. I'm assuming. I, I'm I do have like Harry seventy thousand books I'm training in AI against, but I don't read. I don't there have any time for that luxury. And, and trust me, I, I read at a snail's pace, man. I, I am special needs when it comes to reading, so <laughs> I use the reference sparingly. But 
One thing I always ask, and I think it's critically important. So I think of economic buyers, they have the discretionary budget. They literally sign the check. I think if you can't ask that one question, you know, can I meet the EB and are they aware of this project? There's a bunch of red flags. Like the person who's going to sign the check, if they can't tell me yes or no, I'm aware of this thing. They don't even have to meet me to your point, Charles, but can somebody at least tell me that they're aware of what, you know, we're trying to do here? Huge yeah. red flag, right? I mean, well, Whitfu is very small, but I mean, most of the stuff, if I, get, if I have a champion, I say, go find the thing. I don't want to meet with anybody. Just, you right. know, if I, if I have to sign it, I'll sign it. Or otherwise, just someone else is placing the order. And it, it's, it, it's not, it's just, I can only have so many relationships. There's only, there's only, you two guys, the only guys that can call me up at 10 o'clock at night and say, jump on this podcast last minute. <laughs> You don't, you don't, you don't get sent to my AI bot. It's gonna annoy you for calling. So I mean, I can't handle terrible more relationships with people. I can't. I, I'm, I'm booked up until one of you drop dead, right? So exactly. And to that point too, like that's the other ask, right? Not only can I ask, are they aware of this project, but also, it's an opportunity to match jerseys. That's another term I love. Yeah, I would love for Charles, who's making an investment in a solution that may be significant, it may not be. To at least meet my CEO, to at mm -hmm. least meet my CTO. It's an yeah. opportunity to say, can we build that bridge to somebody who matters to you, Charles? Not a rep who may get fired in like two weeks or take another job in a month, but to somebody in this company who you're invested in. So I always like to think of that EB, right? As they got the budget, do they know what we're asking for? And two, are they open to at least meeting somebody who matters at our company who they can call if everything goes sideways at midnight on Sunday? Right. Yeah. I, I, I look at those two things as very critical to at least the deal. If the answer is no, the answer is no. But in most large organizations, it's also a networking opportunity to say, here's who we have at our company matching jerseys that matter. So to me, that's that's kind of what I think about with the with the EV ask. You know? Yeah. Well, the question is, is it pre-sales or post-sales? Right. And for me, that's always a big question. Do I need to get executive sign off, which means I need to make sure. It is, it is Jersey to Jersey, right? Yeah. Which means this isn't going to happen in the next hour. It's going, if right. we thought this was closing at the end of the month, it's not right. And so yeah. where that's important, um, to the business, to your compensation, to, you know, expectations, um, mm -hmm. it, it is a lot. I mean, it, it is, it's a type of marriage that happens where the champions and coaches can be very transactional. Like give me yeah. the tool. I'll call you if I need to. And it's a, it's a lot more philosophical and deep when you start having executive connection. Um, it's just, we were talking about it earlier. I was in a hot tub with two other, with two other executives at the beginning of the year in San Diego. Don't want to do that for everybody Beautiful that stuff. I'm in business with. Don't even want to do it with them. But you know, the, <laughs> there's a whole different tier of investment when we start engaging in that level. And I think it's just, you know, sometimes we need to do it. It's important to do it. Um, but it is expensive. So I think we just have to right. recognize, you know, yeah, the cost benefit on that. Well, this has been a great episode, guys. Uh, Charles, thanks again for joining us in, in this episode. You'll be joining us in next week's podcast uh, episode as well. John, always good to have you on. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be going back to talking about sales pipeline, but this time with more of a focus about unclogging that pipeline and keeping deals moving. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. Again, this has been a great one. You guys can look out uh, for us for everything Alter the Demo Gods by going to demogodspod.com. Uh, get us wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've got questions for us or suggestions for the show, 
can email us at demogodspod at gmail.com. John, Charles, thanks again. And to everybody that's been listening, thanks for listening to Alter the Demogods. See you next week. 